before I open God's word, would you pray with me? Lord, on this Pentecost Sunday, I pray, come upon me and come upon us with power afresh. That we would, as the song we just sang says, grasp the heights of your plans for us. Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Friends, those are big words. Uh, The heights of God's plans for us. You know that the book of Revelation says that God has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. A kingdom and priests. What do priests do? Priests mediate between one reality and another, between God and human beings. God's made us a kingdom, a group under his dominion of people that represent him in the world. Help us grasp the heights of your plans for us. What does it mean that we have a priestly calling? This is what we've been stepping into as we walk through Luke and Acts, that we, like Jesus, in the power of the Spirit, are called to embody and to proclaim and to advance the kingdom of God. And we said, this doesn't happen in our own strength. We know we're weak. Just like Paul prayed, Lord, I'm weak. And the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you. And he has grace for each and every one of us to be faithful, to be that salt, to be that light, to represent him, to embody his love and his kingdom. And and we've said, well, how does he empower us by his spirit? How does he do that? And so we've begun a series, and we're talking about the dynamics of cooperating with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person, not a power. He gives power, but he's a person. And he's been given to us personally. He's joined himself to us. If you're in Christ, Christ is in you. But that doesn't mean that you've got an awareness of his presence or that you know how to hear his voice or that we know how to work with him. And so we're saying, how do we work with God? How does God work with us in and through us? And we said last week or two weeks ago as we opened the story of Lazarus and we, we looked at Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead and we said the first dynamic that's always involved in working with the Holy Spirit is love. God's love has got to fill us and move us. Without love, I've got nothing. But when I have love, it's compassion from God that moves me toward people and needs and situations. It's what engages me to get out of the church and into the street and to meet my neighbors. And I want to have conversations in my workplace. And I want to talk to my fellow students and I want to pray for people around me and I want to see my work environment changed for the glory of God. It's love that motivates me to pray for those situations. It's love that motivates me, or all of us, to want to represent Jesus and see people know Jesus and changed by Jesus. And so, here we are, 
this morning we're going we're to dive into the second dynamic of cooperating with the Holy Spirit, and that is intercessory prayer. So I'm not going to, I said I was going to work from this Lazarus passage each time and um, show us how we see that dynamic at work in the passage, but then leap off to other scripture passages. I'm not going to reread the whole story this time. I'll start at uh, John 11, just read the first three verses and then the last six or so. So John chapter 11. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And then Jesus and his disciples have a long dialogue about, are we really going to go back there? Didn't the Jews just try and kill you? Yes, we're going to go back there. Um, And then they arrive and uh, Martha comes running out and starts to tell Jesus quite angrily that if he'd been here earlier, Lazarus wouldn't have died. Jesus challenges her to have faith. Mary comes out. Jesus is moved as she also um, laments, and it says Jesus was deeply distressed in spirit, and he wept because he was so moved by their grief. And then we pick up, they, they say, he says, where have you laid him? And they show him, and we pick up at verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone. He said, but Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me. Let me say that again. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The dead man came out. The dead man came out. His hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. The word of God. Could could you imagine what it, it does to your life to have been present that day? I'm just, you pick your character. Maybe you're a uncle, maybe you're an aunt, maybe you're a cousin, maybe you're a friend. And you've come from Bethany or you've come from Jerusalem and you're weeping along with them. Lazarus is cut down in his prime. And you loved Lazarus. I mean, we've all lost somebody and we know the agony and the sting of death. And 
to go from the the bitterness of thinking that you're going to a funeral and then to have a four day in the grave dead friend uncle brother come out walk out of a grave with grave clothes on what does that do to you i mean how does that change your world you've just gone from agony to ecstasy and what do you make of this like dead people don't get out of graves they haven't before it's kind of like you're you're seeing something that's never happened and isn't supposed to happen and kind of blows your mind changes your life i saw a dead guy <laughs> I, I saw a dead guy get out of the grave i know he's dead he's alive okay it kind of changes a lot doesn't it i mean the rest of their lives are changed you're never the same again when you see a dead guy alive. Why am I going on about this? Well, because I was thinking this week about all the life transformation that took place from this. I was thinking about how those people's lives who witnessed this were forever changed. And so were all of those whom they talked to. And then I was thinking, none of this happens if they didn't. Send word to Jesus. Luke, John writes, the sisters sent word to Jesus. Lord, the one you love is sick. That's prayer. That's reaching out to Jesus and asking for help. That's intercession. Intercession is uh, to... to Stand between and act on behalf of one to another. So this is, we don't just do this to God. Lawyers do this in a court. Let's say Peter's on trial and um, Jim's the judge and Vic is the, the lawyer that's defending. He's going to stand up and he's going to speak to Jim and he's going to make a case for Peter. That's interceding. It's asking for something on his behalf. Prayer has many different faucets. It's like a diamond. Talking to God has many different faucets. But one of those faucets on the diamond, a large one, is interceding. It is representing people and situations and needs to God. And sometimes it's really simple, like, Jesus, help. The one you love is sick. And sometimes it's not quite so simple, and it can involve prolonged, persevering, asking in faith, like Jesus said about the woman in Luke 18 who's who's uh, coming to the unjust judge and asking again and again for her case to be heard. And after which Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Meaning, will he find people who are willing persistently to represent situations and people to God and ask God to act according to God's will and his intentions? Intercession. Asking Jesus to be involved. So, one person says it like this. When we're cooperating with the Holy Spirit, love is the motivation, prayer is the communication. Love's what drives us, prayer is what results. And it's always first. We talk about it as the first dynamic after love because whenever we get involved in needs and situations, we've got this acute awareness. I don't have what it takes. I can't meet that need. I can't fill that void. I can't answer that. 
question. I don't have that wisdom. I can't rearrange those parts. I can't change that heart. I can't change that spouse. I can't. I mean, we just have this acute awareness that we're limited, we're dependent, and we're quite helpless. And actually, that's not a bad place to be. Because, like Paul said, when I'm weak, then I am strong. I delight in weaknesses because his power is made perfect in me. But friends, it's only made perfect when we ask for it, when we depend on it, when we look for it, when we look toward it. I want to show us how Jesus models this. Uh, It's an amazing verse. But Hebrews 5-7 says about Jesus, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions... He made requests, listen to this, with loud cries and tears. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Now think about this. God is asking God for something. God the Son is asking God the Father to meet needs. He's placed himself in a position of dependence. Right? The scripture says he gave up his glory. He emptied himself, says Philippians 2. He gave up his divine power. He placed himself in a situation of, I need. And it doesn't say that he just kind of asked and he was mild and timid. We haven't been given a spirit of timidity. No, he says he prayed with loud cries and tears. You picture our Jesus like that? So often we picture him like the tender good shepherd. But he had gusto. He, he had power in his spirit. He was strengthened to pray because he was carrying the world on his shoulders. And he knew what was needed to be faithful in his ministry and to accomplish God's purposes on earth through him. He knew that he would not get to and through that cross without prayer. Which is why we see him in the Garden of Gethsemane sweating drops of blood saying, Father, if it's your will, your will be done. He says, deliver me of this, but not my will, but yours be done. And when he was done praying, his disciples who hadn't prayed and hadn't asked for anything were just about ready to get knocked over by anything because they hadn't prayed. But Jesus, who with loud cries and petitions asked, received. And he was able to walk straight intentionally toward his own brutal beating and death. And to have the ability to say, Father, forgive them. Because he prayed. Because he received from God for what God was calling him to. So, Jesus is our pattern in everything and for everything, right? Romans Eight says that we're being conformed to the image and the likeness of Jesus. All of us. That's our call. But he's not the first one in the Bible to demonstrate this uh, pattern of intercession or of, of turning toward God to meet all of his needs. There have been many, many examples. And I want to just open up a really prominent or big one for a moment. Exodus 17 
the people of Israel have left Egypt. They've been delivered out of bondage and they're on their way through the desert and they come under attack by the Amalekite nation. And Moses dispatches Joshua with the army and he says, go and fight the Amalekites. And then Moses goes up a mountain and the Bible says he he lifts up his hands and he starts to pray. And that as he prays, Israel is able to drive back the Amalekites and defeat them. But after a while, he gets tired. And so his arms come down in intercession. He's, he stops, stops praying. And what happens? The Amalekites start to move forward and to be, defeat the Israelites. And so Aaron and Hur get underneath his arms and they lift him up. And they strengthen him to keep interceding. And as they pray all day, asking God... Up here on the mountain, he meets their need down there in the valley. This is a really important uh, text and a really important picture because God wants to show us that this is the first way that we work with him to shape reality. So you think, think about this in creation. God entrusted us with responsibility. He said, here is a place, here's a land, tend it, steward it, have dominion over it. He entrusted us with a measure of authority from him to do work. In, as in creation, so in redemption or in new creation, God entrusts us with a sphere. That sphere is, first of all, me, my life. Then it's whatever sphere of responsibility or authority is given me. Workplace, family, relationships. And I am to represent God in those places. And the way that I'm to represent him first and foremost to people is through prayer. So the way that his will is accomplished is through prayer. Let me give some examples of this. This this Moses, let's call it a Moses and Joshua partnership, okay? In that picture, God's purposes are advancing. His kingdom's advancing on the earth. Because he says, I've chosen this people that they'll be a light unto the world. So they didn't do a really good job. We hear that later. But that, that's his stated purpose. He says it in Exodus 19. You're going to be for me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. You're not going to be like the world. And so in order for God's purposes to go forward, these people's got to survive. They got to thrive. So they need to win this battle. So they got to go fight a battle. But they don't just fight it with human strength. Fight it with prayer. And so in the fight to advance God's purposes, there's always prayer and the actual work that we do. Let me give you an example. A um, couple examples. Esther. God's people are again about to be destroyed. And Esther, call, uh, Esther calls for a three day of, of prayer and fasting. And the result of the three days in prayer and fasting are that the people that are going to destroy the Israelites are themselves destroyed. It's a small group of people. But the work was done through prayer. Prayer came first reached out to God to have the need met, humbled themselves before God, and something was gifted or changed in the spirit realm, in the heavenlies, 
and then took place on earth. God revealed the source of what was happening and punished the people that were going to punish Esther and the Israelites. Notice that the work happened first in prayer and then took place on earth. Daniel, same thing. Old Testament. Daniel, Israelites are in captivity. Daniel's praying, reaching out to God for help. And uh, three weeks later, an angel shows up to him and says, Hey, Daniel, your prayers have been heard from the moment you started praying, but I was held up by the prince of Persia. What does that show us? There's con- that's, a, that's a demonic spirit that he was held up by. So there's conflict in the heavenlies, in the spirit realm around us, and God calls us to engage that conflict first and foremost in prayer or by prayer. And as we pray, answers are dispatched to meet our needs on earth. Okay. Here's a real simple one. Peter's in prison. The church is praying. And Peter is released from prison. Here's a couple of um, contemporary examples. Uh, th- four or five weeks ago, right here, we filmed a video to promote the upcoming Growing the Church in the Power of the Holy Spirit conference. And uh, I've never done video shooting of any kind before, never been involved in it. And found out that day how grueling it is to have someone say to you over and over again, okay, now say this, now start here, now do this, now pick up right here, and, um, you know, over and over and over. And I had I had what I was going to share memorized, but um, it was hard. And uh, we had two, two parts to that prayer, a morning part where a group of us uh, film something and we had three or four people praying for us and then the afternoon part was just the videographer filming me telling a story right here and you know what uh, the entire time that he filmed there were only two times where I had to stop and say I need to start over because I bump I bumbled something and I want to tell you what I attribute that to here was the camera Right here, and right here was Pastor Gina for three and a half hours with her arms raised, asking God to put together something that would bring great glory to him all across the earth, that would teach people how to cooperate with this Holy Spirit, that would make people hungry, praying for me as I filmed, praying for the videography as he did, did the filming. And she said afterwards, we talked about it a few days later, and we talked about how the process had gone. And she said, there was one time where you, you, you guys stopped for a minute, and I pulled out my phone, and I started looking at email. And the next thing I heard was you bumbling your way off, off script and um, saying, I'm sorry, I, I kind of lost my place there. And she said, what am I doing? I stopped praying. And back up went the arms. Three weeks ago, maybe four, um, we had a, Pastor Gina and I had a really important meeting coming up in the afternoon where we were going to meet with a ministry leader from another place and felt like we had some uh, challenging things to say. And yet we didn't know how to say them. We didn't know how free we were or invited we were to say these things. And so we felt uh, enough that we needed prayer. So we asked the noon prayer group, would you pray for our meeting in two hours with us? And as we started to pray as a, a group, the Lord gave Mark Essenberg a picture. 
And it was a picture of a house being raised up off a foundation that it was already built on. And then a new foundation being laid underneath the house. And the idea was it's really difficult to relay a foundation under something that's already built. But sometimes it's necessary because the wrong foundation was built. And that very much spoke to what we felt like we had to talk about. And so the group began to pray out of this image. We asked the Lord to guide us and we prayed out of it. Two hours later, we're sitting in that office and we enter into this conversation and the person that we're meeting with literally begins to speak the words that this group had prayed two hours earlier of their own initiative without us having said a word to prompt it, just began speaking out the image that we were praying about and telling us that they thought that this needed to be done. Are you starting to see and hear afresh the value of prayer? God calls us. Our first work in the kingdom of God is prayer. Our first work. Ask me to change things. Ask me to bring healing, to bring light, to bring truth. So this is why Jesus says to the disciples, this is another astounding passage, Luke 10.2. He says to them, the harvest is ripe. The fields are plentiful. In other words, look around you. All around are people who need the Lord and they're ready for Him. They need hope. They need truth. They're like sheep without a shepherd. They're lost, says Jesus. The harvest is ripe. And so what does He say to His disciples? Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest field. Now think about this. The Lord of the harvest is the one who wants the harvest. The Lord of the harvest loves the people. He's the one who sent his son. He's the one who has the greatest vested interest in each of those people coming to know him. And he's still saying, ask him to send out laborers into the harvest field. Are you understanding this? That means there are some things that God won't do Even though he wants to do them, he won't do them unless we ask. What an incredible responsibility this places on us. John Calvin says, God has promised us nothing in Scripture that we are not also bidden by him to dig up through prayer. He's promised us nothing in Scripture that we're not also bidden by Him to dig up through prayer. Let me let me read you some Scriptures. James 4. No, I'll put that one last. Matthew 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be open. John 14. I will do... Whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father, you may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. 
This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples or my followers. John 16. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. 1 John 3. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. And then the verse that Marissa read this morning. This is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. James 4, you have not because you ask not. So I want to ask us this morning, if God is so clear about asking and receiving, no, let me, let me say one thing first, a, a qualifier. It is clear that um, God puts conditions on our asking and receiving. And I want to name those conditions, what I, what I hear from these scriptures. Um, three very, very simple conditions. One, we need to ask in line with his will. You cannot ask God to do something that he doesn't will to do. And so if you want to know God's will, you have to know his word. His word makes very clear what his will is in general for our lives. There are other times where we need to ask what his will is for a particular situation and where we need his guidance. And we'll talk more about that in future sermons because we're going to talk about asking for, receiving, and discerning the guidance of the Holy Spirit. So I won't say anything more about that now. But we need to know that what we're asking for is God's will, which encompasses a tremendous amount that is quite obvious when we look at the world around us, the lives of people, including our own, And then we hold up scripture and see where God says he's taking us. And the fullness of when his kingdom comes with all of its justice, its mercy, its truth, its love, its peace. There's much to pray for. So it's got to be in line with his will. The second thing is that we need to ask in faith. So James says, If you lack wisdom, ask God who gives generously, but don't doubt. Because then you're like a double-minded, like a, like someone who's blown back and forth. So you, so asking him, but doubting is like saying, can I have, but I don't really think you're going to. Could I? Might you? But I'm not really sure that you. No, you've got to take him at his word. If he says something in his word, you take him at it, otherwise we're distorting his character. We're maligning his character. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute because there's reasons why we struggle to have that faith or to trust. But we've got to have faith. We approach him with faith. Third thing. So it's in line with his will. We're asking in faith and we're walking in obedience. Right? If our hearts don't condemn us. In other words, if there's not... Uh, an area of our life where we're clearly disobeying God's will. So I can't ask God for something that's according to his... I can't ask him to do something 
and, t- and tell him I'm not willing to do his will. Those things, they're, they're, they're mutually exclusive. They don't work together. So I've got to know that I'm walking in the light. I'm walking in obedience to Jesus Christ as I'm asking him, inviting him to work, whether it's in my life or somewhere else. Okay, so that being said, in line with his will, in faith, and in obedience, I want to ask if God's so clear and we've got such an opportunity to shape the lives of our family and our friends and our workplace in the west side in the world, then why is it that if we're honest, I would say we all struggle to intercede or to intercede more? Right? The average Christian prays less than 15 minutes a day and watches four times much of, of that of tel- television. Well, you want to pray more. I know you do. I want to pray more. Why do we struggle to pray? Why do we struggle? If God's given us such an opportunity, well, I th- maybe there's a lot of reasons, but I just want to list two. Uh, one, and this is the, sm- I think it's the smaller one, but you can let the Lord decide for you. Well, little kids, when they get to be about two years old, they start saying stuff, you, you go to help them with things, and they start saying stuff like, mm, do it by self, do it by self. <laughs> and we laugh and we say, it's cute, you know, they're growing up, they want to be independent. Actually, it's partially cute, and it's partially a sign of our pride, of our old fallen nature that actually wanted to be independent of God, that wanted to live life my way, didn't want help or assistance. And friends, I think we've got a real issue with this in, in our country because we're built on independence. We value this more than other cultures that have learned how to be interdependent. And um, we don't like asking for help. We feel ashamed if we have to ask for help. Part of the reason why we detest growing old, other than the obvious reasons of the pains and the aches and the other things, is because we don't want to have to receive care from people. We don't. We feel like we'll be humiliated. We just don't like asking for help. And so we really need... Uh, a paradigm shift because the culture of the kingdom of God is dependence. We've got to learn to be dependent. We've got to learn to ask. And sometimes God lets situations happen uh, that bring us to places of dependence uh, when we're not listening. So it's an invitation, but it's also the only way that we're desired, designed to um, to live is to be dependent upon the Lord. That means asking, inviting Him to, to work, to help. But here's the bigger one. It's something I'm calling heart conflicts. We've all read the scriptures that I just read to you. We've all heard them, and I think many of us uh, have had early experiences of praying in accordance with these scriptures, and then not having our prayers answered. We're not having them answered in the way that we hoped, or in the time that we hoped, or the person that we were praying for doesn't respond the way that we wanted them to respond. And and so what that amounts to for us is disappointment, profound disappointment. And if we don't deal with that disappointment, acknowledge it, and... Um, bring it to the Lord and let him be present to it, 
which is a very difficult place because it involves tension. It involves acknowledging the complete goodness and love of God. And I don't know why this isn't happening yet or has happened or whatever it is. But if we don't do that, then what we're left with is a disappointment that settles in and it produces a tremendous amount of uh, unresolved inner conflicts that shapes our praying. What happens is we start to think subconsciously things like the Bible can't really mean that. It's probably not literally true. There's probably some other verses that have to be balanced with this. Jesus couldn't have. And so we sort of write off, well, it's got to have some conditions and because I'm not fully aware of them, I'll just kind of pray and hope my best. But friends, that's that's troublesome. Because what that does is it removes us from a place of faith. And we've got to pray. This is the third dynamic that we'll deal with next week, so I won't get too far into it. But it's faith clothed with obedience. But we've got to pray with faith. Right? The the Bible says that Jesus could do very little in his hometown. Because people lacked faith. Faith draws God to work. It attracts him. And so if we've got unresolved inner conflicts, those need to be dealt with. That's why we've got prayer ministry. So that there's this place where the Lord can heal unhealed wounds. And where he can meet us to strengthen our faith in him. I was sharing, I'll just um, close here. I was sharing uh, this idea that we needed faith and that I, w- I was, I was sh- often share with the noon prayer group about the sermon on Sunday. And we pray together sometimes. And this time I was sharing, you know what? I really feel like I could come and preach this sermon and I could tell 82 stories of God answering prayer that were amazing. I mean, I've got dozens and dozens and you've got many stories too. And we get all excited. God answers prayer. Let's let love motivate us to pray more. Rah, rah, rah. But I thought, I don't think we need that. I don't think that inspiration of the stories is going to move us to pray more if we're not already interceding. If we don't dedicate regular time to praying with our friends or with our spouse or with a small group from the church, a bunch of stories is not going to motivate us to pray more. We've got to deal with the issues that are in the way of praying more, whether it be pride and and I'm just too dependent to cultivate time to ask God to work, or whether it be heart conflicts and I really need to, I need to have unresolved things dealt with and I need to have faith develop in my own heart. And as I was sharing that, Teo, where's Teo? Right here. Teo said, sometimes God answers uh, prayers without any faith, though, Pastor Dave. And he went on to tell the story uh, when he was in Nepal, and there was a woman in the hospital that he was uh, overseeing who was on death's doorstep and was going to die any day, and it was um, completely hopeless by human standards. And he said, I felt prompted to pray for her, but I had absolutely no faith that the Lord would heal. I just laid my hands on her, and I prayed that Jesus... And I didn't feel anything. I just prayed that the Lord Jesus would heal. And three days later, she walked out of the hospital fully restored. And I said, Teo, you still had faith. You had a mustard seed. You prayed. Having no faith is not turning toward God. But having faith is just to ask. So what I want to encourage this morning 
is that we would commit ourselves as a church family to a new degree of asking. That that we would cultivate just just the the um, the posture of continual wherever we are dependence upon the Lord Jesus and asking Him to be involved in what we're doing to meet needs, to touch people, to whatever it is that the need is. Friends, this is why uh, we pray all the time in this church. We pray before every meeting. It's not like perfunctory. It's not like a religious thing that we need to do. We just really want Jesus to be the head of his body, leading and guiding everything that happens. And um, that's not something that I grew up learning. I, I, I grew up in an environment where prayer happened, but I didn't, I didn't grow up learning an attitude of the heart to like be aware that the Lord was present with me all the time and therefore to engage him all the time. I've had to develop in ministry as a pastor, the idea of listening to people with one ear and the Lord with the other. And I listen now for needs. I listen for, cause I just know I've got nothing that you need, but Jesus has everything. And Jesus wants to meet. Jesus wants to be invited. And his answers aren't always going to look like what we think they are. But he'll answer. He'll work. And he'll move. And so I want to pray. I just want to close by praying for us that Jesus would give us new eyes and ears to be aware of his presence and the faith to just invite him wherever we are in new and different situations that you don't normally pray in. Just invite the Lord. Just reach out to him. Just that little mustard seed that Teo had. Just reach out to the Lord and say, Lord, could you help so-and-so? Could you do this? Could you do that? Could you speak to? Could you? Okay, so let's pray. I just invite you to hold out your hands in front of you. and Lord, Lord Jesus, you say ask and you will receive. And so I ask you, Lord, would you impart to us uh, a, a greater degree of faith? Lord, would you impart to us a greater willingness to be that conduit that doesn't just listen to people and let it stop with us, but turns to you, no matter where we are, Lord, in the grocery store, in a workplace. Lord, would you give us the words to pray when we don't know how to pray? Lord, would you stir up, stir up a vision in us of what you can do? Not what we can do, but what you can do in my neighbor's life, what you can do in so-and-so's life. Would you help and cause and enable us to be praying people and a praying church all the more. Lord, we ask that we would be defined by our dependence and our reliance upon you. That when people look at us, they would say, wow. Joy loves to pray. Mary prays all the time. Duane seems so dependent on the Lord that that would be what they notice about us. Lord, this is a work of your spirit. And so we're asking you, pour out your Holy Spirit upon us afresh. We're asking not to just be motivated 
but we're asking to be changed in our hearts. Praying dependent people that out of love invite you to work and to move. We ask this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Church family, there was, uh, just as our worship team comes to lead us in a song of response, there was a sheet in your worship folder called Praying Scripture. And this is to help if you don't know how to pray for people, if you don't know what to pray. This is a wonderful place to start. It's just scriptures with a blank spot. Put somebody's name in and make the first person you put in yourself. Pray this set of scriptures for yourself. Intercede for yourself and then for those around you. Let's stand to sing.